sun reflecting on the water as the sun shuts her eyes don't know why you'll uncover watch the tide rolling with the moonlight everything is silent on this wheezy Missing Magnolias, and today we have a really interesting guest. We have Extreme Cleaners joining us. Larry and Amber are going to be talking to us today about what it's like to clean up hazardous waste and crime scenes and everything in between. They are based out of Baton Rouge, and they've been in practice for a good while now, and they have lots of expertise. Thank you all so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having us on. What's a day in the life of extreme cleaners look like? Typically, people call us and tell us that there's some scene that needs to be addressed. We get a team together and respond to that scene. Everybody has to have their day with a responder bag with them and ready to go at a moment's notice. I'd say we're more like firemen than we are police probably in that aspect. For the firemen wait one location and police around looking for things and firemen wait for the calls to come to them. Firemen don't go out looking for work usually. Larry, what are some of the misconceptions associated with your job? I'm sure you hear a lot of inaccuracies. A lot of misconceptions with our job is that people, first of all, think that just regular maids can do it or a carpet cleaner. I got a call yesterday from a woman asking to come clean a carpet. They think we're janitors and such. So we have to separate ourselves from that because it is a regulated industry. We're dealing with regulated medical waste and biohazards and our team has to be dressed certain ways. Another misconception about our business is that people think they can do it themselves. They think they can have their maintenance person do it. We've gone down a road where we've seen somebody with a yellow bucket and a mop and a bottle of bleach. Larry. Has there ever been a case where you've shown up and you've gone, oh, no way, I'm not doing that? There actually hasn't. I don't know what's wrong with me. There hasn't been a case that we've shown up at that I've said, no, we can't do it. We've certainly had things that have been very repulsive. We've had an eight-year-old child headed and their head hung on the wall. Things like that certainly hit you very hard. And some of the, the brutal deaths we've gone to six people and four of them children and you could see where they're cowering and stuff i go in a lot of times ahead of my team and i move pictures and personal items and anything that'll connect them to them personally we try to distance ourselves from the scene and the victims so you don't carry that weight around with you because amber's joining us So Larry and Amber, if you want to chime in, I I know pre-show you mentioned ways in which you and your team decompress from these scenes. Yeah, one of the ways we decompress after a scene is we go out to dinner typically, and a lot of people are like, oh, you're hungry? But it's hard work a lot of times. You're pulling up floors, baseboards, tiles, and carpets, carrying and lugging stuff. We also do a debriefing on what worked, what didn't work on top of the decompressing and allow people to get stuff off their chest. So is anything that bothered them? I think you also mentioned pre-show. I know that with this line of work, there's a lot of turnover. But right now, I think your team is mostly female. Yeah, currently we have all female but myself. 
I saw recently that you guys are on TikTok. I, I don't know if you know that there's a new hashtag. It's for crime scene cleanup and it's it goes viral. I don't know if you guys have followed of that trend at all and what you guys make of that. The problem with that is there are some companies out there that will exploit people's curiosity and we are not that type of company. We are never going to post a picture or a video that we feel would re-victimize a family. It's not okay. We'll post pictures of us before the job, maybe after the job, but we will never post a picture inside of a crime scene. You can just imagine if you're husband or brother or somebody was to commit suicide and you just happen to be on TikTok and then you see two or three crime scene cleanup texts inside of your home wiping up your blood, that to me is so disrespectful. TikTok is probably our least comfortable venue at the moment. We know it's probably the most beneficial for the generation. We also discuss where do our calls come from from service? Are they going to come from 19-year-olds and 16-year-olds? I enjoyed watching your program on TLC Ultimate Cleaners, and I was really struck by the episode when you guys came and helped a family who had a family member that's house had been destroyed from Katrina. And after you guys cleaned the scene, you, you even recovered personal items. I think it was like a punch bowl set for the family. I don't know how often you guys get the time to just recover things that are sentimental to the family, but it must add to the how rewarding this work is for you guys at the end of the day. That's probably one of our biggest things and hardest things too, is a lot of times family will come in and they're the executor of the state and they're like, I don't want anything, throw everything away. Our team is going through it and they identify a lot of things and they know that people during times of stress make irrational decisions sometimes, ones that they may regret later on. So we look for key things that we think the typical survivor would want us to retain for them. Through years of experience, we've learned these are the things, you know, we'll find American flags folded up from the military. We'll find diplomas, tea sets, family pictures, and then some things in those pictures that looked important. And we'll put them aside. And sometimes we'll even take them back to our warehouse and hold on to them for a few months in case somebody comes out of the woodwork. It is amazing the number of times that somebody will come back and we don't expect it at all from left field and say, hey, where's this chair? Where's this rug? Where's this picture? As far as we knew, they weren't our client, but we still try to oblige. I just like to highlight that the work that you guys do, because sometimes this does come out of your own pocket when you encounter families or victims that don't have the means. And I can't imagine anything more traumatic than having to clean some of these scenes by yourself. So the fact that you guys service the community in this way and take that on is just great. So we had a client call on Sunday. I guess maybe we've been dealing with this since Sunday. And I say she's a client. She's not a client because she hasn't paid us any money to do anything. But she had an animal die. She lives in a trailer in Livingston Parish. She had an animal die under her trailer somewhere in a wall or something. And the smell was horrible. She was like crying to me on the phone. And we get a lot of these calls because people don't know. They think that, oh, they're extreme cleaning. They can get rid of everything. A letter to my friend who is a pest control, because pest control are the ones that have to get rid of the animal. She called us later and she said, well, I had my nephew come over and he had a friend and they found it and they got rid of it. That was started on Sunday. Here we are Friday. She just called me and she's like, it still smells. What do I do? 
I told her that I could bring one of our ozone machines out, but for me to drive all the way to Holden, leave the ozone machine, drive back to Holden and come back, it's probably going to be like $350. And she's like, well, I don't have that kind of money. And I said, well, let me do this. Let me look real quick. So I looked on Amazon. I just ordered her an ozone machine. She's going to pay me for it. It's $65 for a small ozone machine. She's like crying on the phone now because she's like, you've been such a blessing. And that's kind of the things that we do. We do this work to pay our bills, but we're not in this work to be gazillionaires. We're here to like help people. And if I can order her an ozone machine to her house, tell her how to use it, and then she's going to pay me for it. I mean, it's not normally what we do, but we go above and beyond. Our business model probably isn't the best to follow to make a lot of money, but it is for customer service. Amber and I get frustrated when we go to places and they'll be closing in 10 minutes and they'll be like, oh, we can't service you because we're closing. We don't ever put time on anything and there's no request typically that we turn down that any family asks us to do. We've gone to places six, seven, eight times. It seems like you guys really have sort of your finger on the pulse of crime. Could you tell us a little bit about any trends you're noticing here in Louisiana and how it's different to work in another state versus Louisiana? There's federal regulations, which is under the EPA, and that has to deal with any of the hazardous materials we're dealing with, the biohazard, the blood, things like that. Then you get DOT for any kind of transportation of that medical waste. And then we have OSHA, which deals with our employees. New England, state police come in and take over most of the homicides in the state. They're the ones that run things. And a lot of the stuff that we do down here with meth labs and scenes, we wouldn't do in New Hampshire or Massachusetts. And then we go to New York, that's different. So the different places we work, we have to learn what the local regulations are, state regulations. When we went to Michigan, just have our trailer out on the road, we had to go get a permit and get a sticker and have it on our trailer because we parked out in the road while we were doing the job. It varies so much where you work, so you have to understand it. Georgia just passed the law that you have to be licensed with the state, and we had a division there for a while. I think one of the misconceptions that people have about our company is New Orleans and Baton Rouge are always in the top 10 for crime per capita. Shreveport's in there as well most of the time. So we have three in the top 10 in the country of where there is crime. A lot of misconceptions that people have is like, oh, you guys must be killing it. I mean, there's crime everywhere. Well, here's the problem with that. Most of that crime is in areas where, let's just say, the owners of those properties are not the best owners. They don't care about the living arrangements of people. They're just there to collect rent. So when something happens, let's just say like in the Ninth Ward in New Orleans or in North Baton Rouge and in Baton Rouge, or I don't know about a bad area up in Shreveport, but most of those times we are not getting called to those calls because the quote unquote some lords are not gonna pay us to go in and clean up the properties correctly. They're going to send in their maintenance guy who probably is not of the, knows all the correct policies and procedures of, of cleaning up blood, but he's just gonna go in there and do it because, well, that's what his boss told him to do. So yeah, there is tons of crime in between Shreveport, Baton Rouge and New Orleans, but most of that crime is not being cleaned up by crime scene cleanup companies. 
And then we have a perspective like Larry was saying, because Larry lived his first 40 years in New Hampshire. You know, New Hampshire doesn't have much crime. Every now and then you'll hear about maybe a murder in Manchester or something like that. Our youngest daughter actually just moved up there and we're like, great, go up there. Because there's not, you know, it's, it's always in one of the top three safest states in the United States to live. But New Hampshire also had the number one overdose rate for opioid overdose. So there's different things where we are. When we had a division up in New Hampshire, we cleaned mainly suicides and we had a lot of contracts with local municipalities like we have down here, where if somebody bleeds or pukes or pees or poops or whatever the case may be, in any sort of um, holding cell or a, a cruiser or anything like that, then we would get called up there to go clean it. But mainly what we do are your suicides, your unattended deaths, things like that. If you see a murder on the news, we may be there, but most probably we are not there. I feel like I have a hundred questions. <laughs> we didn't right. even ask you guys yet about meth labs and what the, the cleanup is like for that. Could you tell us a little bit about that process? So there's two aspects to a meth lab. There's the cleanup, which people think that's making it all clean and safe and everything. And that's actually for law enforcement and that's covered under the EPA. The EPA requires that law enforcement do the cleanup. Now the cleanup is just the removal of any active devices. Making meth is usually a two-step process. The HCL gas generator, which is the second half, and then there's the one pot or shake and bake. These are the current methods that we're seeing 99% of the time. There's many ways to make meth, like on Breaking Bad with a lot of chemistry involved. There's um, anhydrous ammonia where they go out to the fields and they steal anhydrous ammonia out of the big fertilizer tankers that are out in the fields for sugarcane or corn fields and things like that. Or there's the ammonia nitrate versions, which is what we see most of the time where they get ammonia nitrate from coal packs and fertilizers and things like that. And that's what we see generally. And then they'll do it in a hard container like a Gatorade or Powerade bottle. Those seem to be the two that we see most often. And it's a mixture of different chemicals and Sudafed has to be in there because basically this process is stripping all the binders from the Sudafed and they have to use lithium batteries, different types of camping fuels. And we know which ones that they'll use this precursor if they're doing it for production and resales or if they're doing it for personal use, they'll use different precursors because it'll give a pure meth. We've learned over time, you know, which precursors indicate which one to help the officers with charging the suspects. Then we go through and find all the different precursors and it depends on the agency. There's some agencies that we get there, they get everything boxed up, deactivated, neutralized. Uh, their hazmat team's been out there for five hours already with their air tanks on and backpacks and out there working and get it all done. And then there's other agencies we pull up, there's a one unit parked in the driveway and they might even have an active one pot sitting on the hood of their car while it's running and it's like a pipe bomb on it. But the term cleanup means removing all those precursors and the one pot in the HCL gas generator, neutralizing those, deactivating them and taking them away. So the house is still contaminated in a car wherever the meth was being made, 
that is still contaminated. So cleanup means just removal of those items from the scene. Remediation is then where you're making it livable again for the family. There's three or four steps in a meth lab. First lap, step is the initial response where you go, you're looking for any active one pots. Then you're looking for active, what they call HCL gas generators, which is hydrochloric acid. So you have an ammonia with the one pot and an acid on with the uh, HCL gas generator. And we wanna make sure those are all neutralized and safe. And then we look for all the other precursors and we bring them out for the officers. Then they have to put a sticker on the property stating that it's been contaminated, do not enter because meth is a carcinogen also, and it adheres to the surfaces, it's on the walls, it's in the air, it's in the ductwork. So the place has to be put stickers on. Then the owner of the property, if they're not the one producing it, which most of the time it's not the owner of the property, it's a renter or somebody's son or that is doing it, the owner's contacted, the property then has to be tested and you have to figure out what the levels are in there for your remediation process. And then we put together a remediation plan to meet both the DEQ and EPA guideline on remediation to make the property safe again for someone to go in there and live in there. We had one case up in the North Baton Rouge area where a friend of their son had befriended this elderly couple and they lived in a huge house. And come to find out the guy was cooking meth in their house and selling it out of their house. The elderly couple had no idea really what was going on. The guy gets arrested. They have this whole path force show up at their house, arrest the guy, and they tell the couple that he was cooking meth in your property. The house was big enough to where he was kind of like on this side of the house and they lived on this side of the house and we tested the property and the entire house was contaminated. They were like in their late seventies, thinking they're doing a great thing by helping their son's friend out. I bet you guys never expected when you started this to career to have these kinds of problems later down the line. Hopefully when you guys retire, maybe you'll write a book or something of all these crazy stories that you guys have encountered. I don't know if we'll ever retire. We sometimes feel like we're a little retired. I mean, we'll work one or two days a week the good thing about our business is that we can run it from anywhere. We have fantastic employees, so we'll field the calls that come in, we'll land the jobs, and then we will dispatch a team out to the job. I have to ask, it's not on the list of questions that we sent you guys, and it's okay if it's off the record, but what's the weirdest thing you see? I know mine. So we had a guy that took his own life on the edge of his bathtub and he had cameras throughout his whole house and he had a camera in the bathroom. We didn't get to see it because the cops took the footage, but the crazy thing about it was he had a very interesting younger wife and there were wigs and dress up. It's amazing the stuff that you will see. We try to envision what these people's lives are like. And so here it's, oh, he came home to a blonde haired Barbie. And then the next day, maybe he came home to a brunette, whatever. I mean, they had lots of dress up. Um, but, another but one remember, that Amber, hold on before we move on. Remember that one though, they had a Barbie doll for each one of those looks. So we yeah. found the matching Barbie doll and the outfit and the hair and everything and then she had the matching wig and outfits to every one of these little barbie dolls so she would dress up for him you know fantasy night or whatever 
and match those outfits. Another interesting case was Larry and I, I think one other technician, it was another late night suicide that we got called out to. And I walk in and it's a girl I went to high school with. It was her husband who had taken his own life. Larry was like, hey, I need you in the room. And so we went into the room and there was crisscross tie downs under the mattress. It would be like tied down from um, wrist to feet. This girl was like a really quiet girl in high school. And so it's like, you think about, here's this quiet persona. And then you just imagine like this crazy sex pot in the bedroom. <laughs> Does extreme what? cleaners accept college interns? One of the things we have been kicking around is doing some kind of intern program and also an experience, you know, the extreme cleaners experience. We have had a couple interns come and do some ride-alongs. I'll have to go do a bio pickup and then say, come on with me and have them come to the warehouse and show them around and some simple type things. Yeah, it's an area that we've definitely thought quite a bit about, haven't really done a whole lot of action in it. Thank you guys so much for taking the time. I know how busy you are. And Michelle and I, this is just a treat for us. I know we're kind of nerding out a little bit <laughs> with all the questions we would love to ask you guys. And hopefully you guys will stay in touch and we'll definitely be following you guys in the news and on social media. So thank you guys so much. Thank you all so much. I hope we never need extreme cleaners, but we're very <laughs> happy that you guys exist. <laughs> keep our number and uh, do. keep yeah. in contact.